You're listening to the Comics Pals Daredevil Season 3 Review. Uh, now, Here we go! If, if, if you are a regular listener uh, and you've listened to our other reviews for Netflix series, you'll know that we've kind of dropped off with these. Uh, but this one, there was no way we were going to miss. We've all been so, so, so excited for Daredevil Season 3 and very pumped to talk about it. Um, so we're just going to jump right in and do things how we normally do. Hopefully you guys have not spoiled yourselves yet because I'm going to ask you to tell me what oh. you think the rotten t- the tomato meter score for Daredevil season 3 is and what you think the audience score for Daredevil season 3 is. I was right. ready for this. I knew right. this was coming. Right, Dude, it's funny. I literally forget we do this every time. You're like we do this every time and I'm like, "You know what? You're right." And you think I would be, you think I would have the foresight to cheat. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Critic 93 and audience 96 okay um i'll go next and i will say the audience is a 96 and the critical reception was a 90 okay all right i'm gonna go critical reception 91 oh you fucking asshole and (laughs) you chose the you could have gone last uh critical reception 91 and audience reception 97 Three. <laughs> All right. I am fairly sure that that makes Marco the winner. Uh, oh shit! He went nine. It's a ninety-two on the tomato meter and a ninety-six audience score. Oh wait, what did you guess, Marco? He said. Uh, I said ninety-three and ninety-six. Yeah. I I win then because I was the closest without yeah. going over. Jeopardy yeah, rules. Oh, a bitch. true, <laughs> true. Or not Jeopardy, Jeopardy whatever. It is. Wheel of right. Fortune. <laughs> Price is right. Wait, wait, so it was ninety. It was ninety two. Ninety two, ninety six. Ninety six. Okay, so and I guess ninety one and ninety three. So I win. Oh. no, me and Phil both got nineties, uh, ninety six. So we both got one for audience. Yeah, we we got audience ninety six. Oh, so okay. So it's a tie. All right, so I get one point. You guys both get half a point. Half. Who's scoring this thing? They both Marco? got it right. I don't know. How that's <laughs> right. Yeah, what is this? I'm giving myself three points. <laughs> well, I'm 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 saying You're Marco the- won. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Boom! Done. Executive order. Remember that next time we play Jeopardy, sucker. This is bullshit! I always get I always get treated like crap when we <laughs> oh, play games. Stop it! And, and Sean got himself an extra 800 points tucked away somewhere. Oh, I like on. it! I like it! <laughs> Episode 200. Here we come, baby. All right. Uh, so I'm let's retiring. talk about. <laughs> Bye. Let's talk about <laughs> Daredevil season three. Uh, this is—it's been hotly anticipated. Finally, the return of Kingpin, the return to the feud between Daredevil and Kingpin, uh, the potential possibility of Bullseye maybe being involved with the show. Um, I genuinely don't think that there's a reason to do any kind of spoiler-free section. We will. I, I really don't. Unless you guys really disagree with me, I think we just go right into it. I, my spoiler-free review is that this season was fucking fire, and you should watch it. And that's all I have to say that's not spoiler-free. My spoiler-free is, uh, let's go into the spoilers. Cool. Hi, Karen. It's nice to see you again. It must be very hard. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let, let's let's jump right in. Um, I I want to start right at the very beginning because I think it's it's important. Uh, so the show starts with kind of the aftermath, the immediate aftermath of what happens in Defenders, where the building explodes, and you know we know Daredevil's in there with Electra. We witnessed the collapse of Marvel on Netflix. Yes, absolutely, which we talked about on this week's episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, 
So they skip kind of the explanation of how Daredevil lived through that. And they kind of just jump into like, okay, he's found and everything else. That felt to me very much, and I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say, like a denial of, or or not a denial, but like a, a sweeping under the rug of Defenders, but also, I think, of Daredevil Season 2. Um, I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, like, I feel like it... I feel like it, it, it does make a clean break from what happened in Daredevil Season 2 and Defenders because I think, like, those threads are wrapped up, you know, like, for the most part. Like, the hand isn't around anymore, Stick is dead, Elektra is dead, you know, um, Frank Castle is alive but not around right now, you know, seemingly. And I feel like it's just there is a bigger connection to the first season than than the second season this time around, you know? Because it is focusing more on Matt and his roots and his childhood and his relationship with Karen and Foggy. And those are things that were kind of um, marginalized a little bit in season two because those characters were off doing other things. You know, Matt was at odds with Foggy. Karen was involved with what was going on with Frank. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of interaction between those characters. Frankly, the biggest thread between season two and season three is probably the dissolution between uh, Foggy, Karen, and Matt. Yeah. 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 I, right. And and I think it does directly deal with those things because those hadn't really been dropped yet. And I think that, like, they do acknowledge what happened in Daredevil, uh, or not in Daredevil, in Defenders. Like, Foggy has the guilt over believing it's his fault, you know, that he played a role in Matt's death, you Third know, and, and all sweats, those sorts of things. As he said. Yeah, which I thought was a really good line. Um, but to your point, Sean, I think for me that the reason they didn't focus on those things is that to me felt like good comic book storytelling. It's the same reason that like Superman's origin shouldn't be any more than like a page long. It's that like, I don't really care how Matt survived. He survived. We knew he was going to survive and cool. There's, I've seen him survive a lot of things he shouldn't have been able to survive and it's fine. Like it's, he's a superhero. That was, that's how I felt about it. Like, unless there are repercussions, direct repercussions, I feel more comfortable with them doing away with that and continuing sort of the story that was being told and that thread that is being pulled from season one. The reality is that... Yeah, right, the repercussions is that, like, his senses are totally fucked, like, he's he's totally, like, his body is destroyed, like, obviously he was beat to shit, but he got sucked down a hole and, okay, fine. I know, I know people. I know people who haven't watched uh, Defenders, and uh, I think the reality is it doesn't really matter how he survived a building falling on him because if you haven't watched Defenders, all you need to know is that a building collapsed on him and Electra was seemingly in there with him. Because uh, now we come out of this, and it's really about Matt's crisis of faith. That's that is the crux of that first episode, and really a lot of the whole third season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, man, wow! It just it's there's so much to it. It's like where to even, where to even kind of begin? Uh, the show, like, go ahead. <clears throat> can, can I? I actually want to begin just by like throwing out a question to you guys. This is something that Phil and I were talking about. Um, it is Phil. Who? Uh, <laughs> re- like trying to remove your recency bias. Did you feel that this might have been the best season of the show? Because I have, like, a strong feeling of that, and I'm interested to see how I feel by wow. the end of this conversation. But I want you guys to start thinking about it. 
Do you want to talk about it now or no? If, yeah, if you want to. Like, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like, if I say, what do you think about that? Like, do you think this could be the best I, season of the show? Okay. And I'm saying right. I think I, it might I, be. I will go first because I've actually thought about this a lot. I think this is not only the best season of Daredevil. I think this is the best superhero adaption ever done. I think I agree. And the reason I say all this is I, I've been thinking about really the, the themes of the show and how have they've built upon itself since season one and compounded in such a meaningful way because the themes of Daredevil are what is God's purpose for us and is it okay to kill or not to kill because Matt's Catholic guilt confines him into not killing people which builds up into the very last moment of this season in addition to that it's also about destiny which is another big uh, it's another big kind of uh, uh theological kind of conversation because um a big question is are we are we victims of our past of our own actions can people change and do people deserve second chances and you see that with wilson fisk you see that with karen you see that with father paul you see that with uh sister maggie you see it with dex and you see it with matt and the deem <clears throat> and that's true and yeah. and i think like you said um just before we get away from it because now i think you're getting over to like one of the major themes is redemption Born um, again. but i think in, in right of course um and obviously that plays well with the c- theme of catholicism as well um <clears throat> but uh what was what was the one you just mentioned right before that you said that, that the other major theme was Oh, destiny. Is that's a major theme in this season as well with uh, the recalling to the stuff with his father. Yes. Where in yes. season one, a major part of it was that, oh, we're the Murdoch boys and we have the devil in us. Right? And like that, the idea of are you born to be a certain way? Are you born with what your nature is or are you made by your experiences and your choices? And that was a major theme in this season as well. With well, While Matt was trying to recover and reconcile his identity as a warrior and as a fighter. Matt's seeming destiny here is to kill Wilson Fisk. There's no way around it. Everything is pointing to him to eliminate Wilson Fisk, who is ruining everyone's lives, everyone who he loves lives. And even as a child trained a stick to be the solitary warrior with no friends, no family, his purpose is to rid New York City, specifically Hell's Kitchen, of evil, and that paramounts in Wilson Fisk. And that goes back to Greek shit because everything in Greek shit is all about your destiny and how you basically are just following a path till eventually you complete that path. And we kind of talked about with Dirk earlier where Sean said you're pushed down a black alleyway until you eventually figure it out for yourself and then everything works out okay. Matt's pushed down the darkest alleyway of all this season because he's got to confront the darkest side of himself and I think you really feel that internal struggle with him. And things only get more arduous when you learn about Sister Maggie's relation to him, uh, everything with Paul, because the reality is Matt feels like in his life, everyone's abandoned him. And this season's about how people haven't abandoned him. Well, and and, and to an extent, it's true, right? Like, and, it, and everyone but Karen and Foggy have abandoned him. That That is true. You know, and like... They, there's a huge, you know, he has a lot of internal dialogues with people from his past this season. That was a major addition to this season that we saw come up a, a few times. And, you know, when he's talking with his father, he clearly resents his father for, you know, dying because of his pride, you know, and that he chose, 
yeah, as much as he respects his father for being, you know, um, a man and being honorable and those sorts of things, he also resents him a lot for abandoning him. There's a great moment where uh, I also want to mention how Marco and I talked about how well shot this season is. And the scenes you're talking about, Pete, really speak to that. But the scene where Matt is speaking to the ghost of his father about his pride and he blends in with Wilson Fisk, who's talking to him at the same time. I thought it was like specifically kind of like that was like the that was the moment where everything came together in one scene. Well, let's let's let Marco get a word in here. So, ah. so just going back to to just going back to uh, Pete, your original question on like whether or not this was the best or better than season one. I think it was in the way that it told its story and it, as well as the way that it, it used uh, and uh, Phil alluded to this, the way they were shot, the way that they filmed this specifically was uh, a, a big step up, I think to from season one and season two, um, just in the way that they sort of piece the story together. You know, it's still, let's say bare bones, daredevil versus Fisk. Right. And season one was, let's say daredevil versus Fisk, but season three, uh, at that barebone level injects so much more. It it brings in these themes that then ties each of these characters to and intertwines them in this huge, yes. really like elaborate web. And I think that it's done so, so well. Um and then the way that it's represented in uh in the way that it is filmed is uh really cool. They innovated on the scenes that they that they did have, like the hallway scene. Dude, there was like four <laughs> hallway scenes and then on top of that they played they played with that form. They did one in the uh, in the offices. They did one in I think like, it was like the one nurse's of the kitchen. office one. And, yeah, and like one of the uh, some I think a kitchen or something at some point. There there was so much more there using the same sort of techniques, but rehashing them and rebuilding on them. That there was so much growth overall for this season, for this show. Um, that I think it's really, really it was that much more better. Marco, yes. You're talking about the way this is shot. Uh, Dude, it's just, it's good shit. How about, I don't want to get, like, I know we're kind of jerking all around here, but the scene where where Wilson Fisk gets inside the head of Dex by looking through his psychological history. And you're given that background and this kind of... And it's done in black and white. Yeah. And everything is just from the perspective of Fisk as he goes back in time. That entire scene was so well shot yeah. i actually really yeah. disliked that that was really, really? Yeah, that was my only real criticism of this season was, get out yeah i hated every single scene where someone was either talking to someone who wasn't there or seeing something they couldn't have seen it it took me out of the moment every single time wow I loved That's it. It's a, a narrative framing device. I, yeah, I yeah. like it. I don't like well. and and a lot of a lot of media does this and I hate it every single time. It's it's too meaningful for me to see uh uh Matt Murdock and his dad on the same screen that I feel like you you don't get you shouldn't get that moment. We sh- we don't we should not get that moment. That's the moment that's like 
impossible for a reason and that and that the weight of that should matter i think in 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 a comic book they wouldn't do that because you could read his internal monologue but since they can't this was the only way around it since at those moments there was no one for the character to play off of but i really dislike it it's like i don't want to see spider-man and uncle ben having a faux conversation They're, but it like it i just it i don't i just know like no, like, really? yeah, and I I like Man ah. of Steel a lot. My my least favorite moments are when he's talking to his dad. Batman vs Superman. I hate the parts where he's talking to us to 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 the Kent to Pa Kent because I want us. I don't want to get that moment. That moment is past. That's the whole point. Mm. It's it's. I it's, think I th- it's not real though. I know it, that's it, the point. Is- in Man of Steel, he is talking to Jarrell. Like he's talking to like a hologram of him. Yeah, but I uh, felt like that was cheap. Is my point. I think I think the reason I liked it in this season is because it I I think it works in certain situations. Like I I think in this this particular season of Daredevil, I like it because it's not just dead people. Like it is also Fisk, right? Like I think it it is like less supposed to be. In my mind, like, we see it as a conversation because that's a convenient narrative device, but it's more like him wrestling with what he thinks they would think or whatever. And, like, I, if that doesn't work for you, I totally understand. I just, for whatever reason, that is something that can be a turnoff for me, but it worked for me in this. In this I sense. also really, really dislike the fact that the first time, because we've all been anticipating seeing Daredevil and Kingpin on the same screen for forever since you know since since whatever season one um the fact that the first time that that happens again is in a a, a a not real sequence really bothered me that we see him put his hands on kingpin that he beats him down but it's not real that it didn't take the heat off of it for me when they actually do fight later but it definitely was like Ah, come on, man. I I absolutely had that verbal and physical reaction. Ah, oh, man, I completely disagree, but Yeah, I'm with Phil. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, but to answer the the initial question I was posed, uh Okay, so I think it's the best season of Daredevil. I think it's the best season of a Netflix show. I think it's the best uh sh- like season of television for a comic book show ever, and I also think it's one of the the greatest seasons of television in general. Yeah, I I hard agree across the board. Um, I I was so impressed by how good this was because I think like even in Daredevil season one, which I think is nearly perfect, like there are moments in it where you're kind of like mm, like the it, it gets a little in the weeds. And I think there's only one episode you can even accuse that of in this season. And I think it actually it was incredibly important for adding content. You talking about Karen? Yeah, Karen's episode. I liked that episode a lot. And I thought I thought that that background story for her was actually really... It, it, it was important for the character, I think. Who, and I think she's one of the better developed characters in Daredevil. Yeah, I strongly feel like people have to get over stuff like that. She's she's a relevant character. You like what are we not supposed to see her her beginnings? We saw it for we've we've seen fifty flashbacks of Matt Murdock. We've seen flashbacks for every other main character. She was the only one that they held off, and it was so important to get that. And they held it off for a reason. I feel like because uh, Karen even in the book says a, a checkered history. And yeah. The whole time, that that's what's that's something that really worked in this season too. Is 
the consequences for actions from season one. Karen shot someone seven times. That is is finally brought into the light here. And it's it's juxtaposed with her backstory in an extremely effective way. And I think it's also important because it, it speaks to how Sean said this earlier that Daredevil has done a really good job of building on its history to develop mm-hmm. its yeah. themes f- further. And I think the fact that we didn't get this conversation until now is really important because it was it was an important moment for Matt and Karen now. You know, it was an important moment for Foggy and Karen now in the context of what's happening. Whereas, like, her holding on to that secret for all that time until now, it's like Frank Castle is the only person who knew that. Marco, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to gush. Yeah, gush. <laughs> gush. Oh, shit. That's shit, what we're here dude. for, baby. Uh, <laughs> the consistent use of red in intense moments and, like, the color <laughs> direction of this was so, so fucking cool. Fucking and. The way it worked with music, uh, Phil, we were talking about this. Yes. Or maybe it was Pete. No, it was me. It was, okay. And where, yeah, 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 where um, Fisk is finally getting all of his, his things into the house. And uh, just as he starts to walk down from his room, like the FBI is in there and they're kind of searching and it gets him mad. And the entire time he's making breakfast and there's this uh, quartet with a piano going on and the moment he gets to those stairs, you know, the music starts to unravel. The The strings get dissonant. Um, the buzzing around Dex's head consistently. Yes. Oh, that was so incredible. When the camera just, would, like, turn. And turn, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or that uh, that shot of him where he wakes up and it's just upside down. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like yes. he, he wakes up and he's sitting on the end of his bed. Like, oh, my God. Like, or, or the first time that he's in his apartment and he freaks out and they just spin the camera around the room once or yeah, twice, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and he's, like, throwing shit and you're not even seeing him do it. You're just it's hearing unnerving. it. Like, yeah. yes. God. There's the, the, the auditory the, stuff in Daredevil is always so fucking good, dude. The sound, the, the sound design and the music is so effective. Every time Wilson Fisk is trying to orchestrate something that resembles kind of a civilized life, they always play Chopin in the background. Every time you're... A throat is supposed to sink into your stomach. Marco referenced the the dissonant uh, violin chords, kind of just sinking down, and then you feel this disgust. Uh, there's even cues where they play the reprise of the theme song as a kind of a transition to show. Mm-hmm, it's so yeah. effective. Or uh, in in like in the early episodes when Matt doesn't have his hearing back, and the way that they're using it so that it's like it feels like almost like a video game, like where it's like when the camera moves around him, you get you know you're hearing sometimes or whatever yeah, like, yeah it's really effective you know for for setting moods you know and like that's what i think the show does such a good job of, of making you feel uncomfortable or or making you feel elated you know and like and it's and it's a perfect marriage of the way it's shot the way that the color theory is used the music and the acting um to your point sean about the karen episode Episode 5 did not have Matt Murdock at all until the final four minutes of the episode. That's how strong the supporting cast of this show is, is that you can go an entire episode without Matt Murdock. I didn't even notice <laughs> that. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't even I didn't even notice that it, was, it, it was, happened it was until the, episode, the very end where I was like... Yeah, that was the episode yeah. following Matt Murdock 
in uh, prison with the long tracking shots where he has to confront <sighs> the Albanian leader. And the entire episode after that is basically how Matt becomes a fugitive of the law after the FBI is pursuing him because he's not in the episode until the final few minutes where you find out where he went after he ditched his clothes in his own apartment. Yeah, and it's literally just an episode about Karen, Foggy, Nadim, and uh, Poindexter, for the most part. I think that that uh, episode four prison sequence is the greatest action sequence I've ever seen on television. It's incredible. Dude, I like... I'm not even like disagreeing with you because I have another one in mind, but I have reservations I of saying that just because like... There are, like, four fight scenes like that in this show. I think the first fight between... The first Daredevil versus Daredevil fight is inc- in the in the bulletin is incredible. It's very good. But the, the difference is once a season, they utilize a very effective tracking shot. Obviously, in the first season is when uh, Daredevil rescues the child from a trafficking ring in the hallway. Second scene was in season two where he's got... Like a chain tied around his arm and he's trying to go down a staircase because there's that biker gang across the street that Frank Castle blows up their motorcycles. That's a crazy scene. This is the third one, and I think of the three, this is probably the best. Definitely. I, I think so. It, it was um, I also think that the, the the final brawl is like next level too. But you're right. The, the, all the fight scenes are really good. Uh, one of my complaints in the first season is that the fight scene between Daredevil and Kingpin feels a little rushed. In this season, in the last episode with Bullseye, it is so good. That fight scene is so damn good. Let's let's circle back. Let's circle back a little bit and and kind of bring some focus to this. Uh, I, I want to talk about Daredevil's journey throughout this season. We we alluded to it uh, a bit earlier on, just kind of talking about the themes and how they were re- reflected in him. But I feel like as a character, we've rarely seen a main character in a show uh, go through this much sort of growth. Um, and it's clear to me that they had something to say here with this and, and how they um, how they put him through the ringer, quite frankly. Uh, so so just just open floor, like how did you guys feel about his arc in this in this season? I think Matt Murdock is at his best when he's cornered, knocked down, bloodied, and just left for dead. Just like Born his dad. again, just like his dad. And you know, the, and the thing about Matt Murdock, you can always count on, is that he always gets back up, no matter how beat up he is. Because there's times where you see him just get destroyed physically, and you're like, well, I know he's gonna get back up because it's what he does. And this season, like the source material that it's based around does just that it takes matt murdoch to his absolute threshold he's isolated he has no friends he doesn't hear god anymore he feels like he's underwater because he can't hear out of his left ear he gets beat up by small time crooks in the beginning um he fucking steals foggy nelson's wallet to break into prison and his money so he could pay for a cab uh he's at the absolute bottom and on top of all this wilson fisk's figures out who he is and he totally uses that to ruin his life so to see matt triumph at the end at the very end where he takes off his mask after pummeling wilson and says i beat you i beat you you as the audience feel that same satisfaction because matt overcame all the adversity to get here it's, um it's, and i do awesome. want to just point out that uh, i in that same scene um 
that final fight, it, it was really cool the way they tied together everything because it was the painting, which was Fisk's goal yes. of bringing it represented, you know, him and, um, oh my God, Vanessa, 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 um, and him fighting right in front of it, defending it. Um, and, and that was his arc and to come up against the entire story that we've been following, uh, Matt on is just made for such a great resolution because both of these characters have lost so much, well, one more so than the other, but like, uh, it, it was just a great driving force and a great use of, uh, the themes present throughout the, the entire season. I, I love that too, because the painting, uh, represents, it's called rabbit in a snowstorm in the show. It, it represents Wilson Fisk and Vanessa's inherent isolation. Vanessa speaks on being in a crowd in Paris, but feeling completely alone, not that she was not a part of the crowd. She was just there as her own sovereign person. That painting is bloodied with Wilson Fisk's blood, yeah. which I thought was like a really satisfying visual uh, metaphor for 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 the, now it's like a bloodied rabbit in a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. And he used red to continue that. Yeah, there you go. Blood does tend to be red, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, so Pete, go ahead. You, you didn't uh, jump in there. I think after season two, of Daredevil, this was a really, really good decision uh, for this storyline now because I think having his his relationships with the two most important people in his life, the only people who haven't abandoned him, the two people that have stuck by him, uh, have to have it be so strained, um, but then still that see that it's still intact in Defenders, right? Like this was the next step for that because I think the the whole you know journey that matt goes on is being broken down to his absolute lowest so that he can build himself back up again you know and and more importantly so that he can open himself up to allow other people to help him build himself back up again you i'd know? rather Whether i'd rather it's, die as the devil than live as matt murdoch right and and then realizing that that's not true and and i think that is that's matt's journey ultimately and it's and it's uh i think really for me, it's it's best shown in the uh, the conversation he has with his mother uh, when she says, you know, you think that like having friends and letting people in makes you weak and it's the opposite. And it's that's that's what we see here. Right. Is that when Matt is at his lowest point and his back is up against the wall, he's only able to pull himself out because he has the help of. Father Lantham and, you know, Sister Mary and uh, then Foggy and Karen, you know, and the fact that he like every single thing he does, even when he's pushing them away, even when he is uh, saying he doesn't want anything to do with them, he's only able to move forward through them. And uh, the I think it speaking of things coming full circle, like Marco said, I I thought it felt like everything finally came full circle when they're sitting down in the Nelson's uh, deli and Foggy draws up the paper again, you know? And it's that return to form that we literally haven't seen since or, or not even the end of season one, right? That, like, dis- despite there being resolution and and a lot of, like, you know... 
like these characters never stop loving each other, but like the they have not been this united since they were back in the office. Since season and, two, because they were united in the beginning of season two under the Frank Castle trial. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um But but I think even so, right? Like that even at that time they're not exactly on the same page because Matt breaks that partnership by working against them, you know? Um and I, I think this is like the first time in a long time where you really see them align and work together as a team truly. And uh, and that is ultimately the thing that is able to take down Fisk. You know, that is ultimately the thing that is able to see Matt find some peace. And, and, and that's why if the show were to unfortunately end, uh, it would have a mostly tied up, clean resolution. Matt's allowed to be happy finally. So uh, it's actually funny that the end was... Uh, initially, I was very upset because it, cause it all tied up in a nice bow and everybody's all hunky-dory and all this. And I was like, well, here we are again with this superhero. And then it goes back You're to like... Piece um, of shit. <laughs> and then it goes to... Um, Bullseye. Uh, like the, 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 the final... Con- no, the final conversation. Well, the bullseye thing, I was like, all right, fine. I'll give it a pass. But like <sighs> the... Um, <laughs> the final conversation between Matt and and uh, I think Maggie, where he like grows, or I was like, okay, that is a resolution that you want to see at the end of this is is fine. You you overcome this greater enemy and this greater force, but you as a person are changed either for the better or for the worse. But you come out changed, and I think it it really made that believable. Uh, for me, it made Matt's growth believable and it made the resolution that much stronger, which is why it ends on such a high note as well. Uh, and with that, I have to head out, guys. Um, see you on the next review. All right, get out of what here. What a shame. Get out of here. You're like two girls <laughs> anyways. Beat it. All right, now we can have the real discussion. Uh, there you go. So I... um. I'm a big fan of metaphor and allegory and things like that. And um, the metaphorical death of Matt Murdock, uh, the spiritual death of Matt Murdock was, you know, the entirety of the first few episodes was about who he is now that Matt Murdock is dead. And I think Job is a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I just, I just love the way that this season kind of tells the story of how he's able to uh, resurrect and redeem Matt Murdock. Uh, I, I think it was just brilliantly done. And you brought up the Job thing. Um, I haven't been able to let that go since since it was said and since I finished the, sh- the show because he is Job throughout this entire season. Um, and... I just it's really like weird and complicated but I just look at it like throughout the entire season um you know he is being tested and he's been put through the ringer and we see him get to the lowest of the low of the low um and it's this question will he Will he deny God? The ultimate denial of God is to is to be is to play God. Playing God would be to kill. Playing God would be to kill the kingpin. 
Um, that would be to forsake God for real. Saying Job is a pussy is one thing. Saying, you know, destiny is bullshit is whatever. It's the actions that count. And I think if he would have killed Kingpin, that is the sort of, that's the cutting of the cord um, that that separates him from faith. And the fact that he finds a way to root himself in faith, to root himself in his belief that he is more than that, that he is uh, an agent of God, that he is that he's a warrior of 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 his faith, um, I think was just such a strong message um, that he that he endured, you know, and it just reminds me so so much of the Dark Knight, you know, because they're about very similar things. And I just love the fact that I wanted him to kill Kingpin. I wanted it. I wanted it to happen. I was ready to see it. I wanted it. I wanted it. I wanted it. I was angry with Foggy. So mad because Foggy kept saying, you can't do that. There's another way. I was like, are you stupid? Do you not see what's happening? He's going to get away. You know, there is no other way. And by the time that we get to it and Daredevil you know, doesn't kill Kingpin and chooses and finds another way. I was like, oh, yeah, good. I'm so happy, you know? Yeah, it's like that's what a hero does, right? right? It's like, because you should want to feel that way, right? Like, I remember having the same thought. It's like, just fucking kill him, you know? But, like, the things that Karen and Foggy say about it, it's like, it's, uh... It's funny because there's a similar moment actually in the uh, Spider-Man PS4 game where like there's a showdown with a big villain and like he's like, stop trying to save Osborne. He's like, I'm not trying to save him. I'm trying to save you. Right. I'm trying to save Matt from killing Kingpin, not saving Kingpin from dying because he does need to die. But guess what? If Matt is the one to kill him, then we lose Matt and Matt is gone, too. Because there is no coming back from that. Like, uh, Karen says, you'll never see yourself the same way again, right? And Foggy says the thing that you said about the him severing his faith. He's a Catholic. At, at, at his core, he has to believe that everyone is capable of redemption, you know? Uh, that even a man like Fisk. And killing him is... You know, that's... The denial that's of that. taking uh, Is it? It is. And, it, and that would be the thing to snuff out his faith. Uh, of of the the thing that he clearly wanted to reconnect to, it's, you know, it wasn't just that. I felt a tremendous sense of anxiety when he's telling Poindexter about Fisk killing Julie, because I thought the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and he was going to turn bullseye loose on Wilson Fisk, which is a terrifying like concept. Because yeah, Poindexter is terrifying, and you see it. Uh, when he fucking shows up at the wedding with Julie. Yeah, that was That's, sick. That was classic bullseye right there. That's- Man, and... Like, I, that's something I, I think we haven't even, like, touched on yet, is, like, Bullseye as a character, like, Poindexter as a character. He is a phenomenal addition to this cast. Like, the fact that they were able to set up a tertiary villain that is as compelling as Wilson Fisk is, like, a testament to this, this show. It made well, me want to see him as a primary antagonist, which is what, uh, inevitably, season four would be. Uh, hopefully we get there. But you're right, as a tertiary villain, he was phenomenal. And and it's the, it speaks to what they do with these quality programs. They they 
Season one was Wilson Fisk before he was Kingpin. Season one was Matt uh, Murdock as a vigilante before he was Daredevil. Season one of Punisher was Jigsaw before he was Jigsaw. Season two was Punisher before he was Punisher. And here is Bullseye before he's Bullseye. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I actually, to that point, I love the fact that we finally got to hear uh, Wilson referred to as the Kingpin. Yes. Uh, I thought that was super cool. But... And then he dons his fucking baller-ass white suit. Like, oh my god, I fucking love it. To to the point that you were making regarding uh, right. Bullseye being let loose on Kingpin, uh, that was actually something that I also thought, oh, yes, I want to see that. Let Bullseye kill him. Um, but that that's actually really bad. That would have been yes. really, really bad. Yes. Because, uh, and this goes into like, you know, writing and character development and whatnot but like if if the sh- if the show's about daredevil and daredevil wants bulls are uh, kingpin to die then he has to do it or not if someone else does what it is that daredevil wants to see happen then that removes the action from the main character and it's cheap because daredevil gets what he wants without having to sully himself to get it that's not what we want or even like really make a choice. Right. We want we want the choice. And so I was really glad that that's not how it played out. But that being said, uh that whole last fight between the three of them was just so incredible and so tense the entire time. Visceral. Yes. Yeah. Especially because like I think in a lot of the fights in Daredevil, they feel very realistic because there's space in them. You know, if you ever watch, like, a real fight, you know, like, I, I even mean, like, a even, like, a boxing match or something like that, right? Like, it's not all hitting all the time. And there's usually a lot of breathing room in Daredevil's fight scenes, and there's no breathing room in that scene at all. Like, like almost every second of it is somebody attacking somebody. And the interplay between the three characters and their three different fighting styles is so fucking interesting, you know? And I think they did such a good job of illustrating, like, especially, like, between Matt and, uh, and, and Ben, where, like, when there's any distance between them, Bullseye is at an absolute yes. advantage. And as soon as Matt gets even, like, within an inch of him, he's got nothing on him, really. You know, like, you see him land a handful of punches on Matt, but most of the time it's Matt just fucking whooping on him until he can get away and get a little bit of space. I was I was talking with someone that is not particularly well-versed in the source material, and they were talking about how frustrated they were by Bullseye, not in a negative way, but just like, they, they felt the frustration Matt would feel, and that anytime he would get away, he would throw a baseball that would ricochet off a wall and hit him in the face. <laughs> Just like just just stuff like that, Bullseye's creativity in his ranged combat was so frustrating for this person I was talking to because it's like, okay, I have a second to breathe. Ow! Yeah, I'll be honest. I actually found that to be really, really funny because um, like there's a James Bond villain named Oddjob, and he just uses different like random. He throws a hat, right? Yeah, like, and and so for Bullseye to just be throwing literally whatever. Just I just I laughed a lot at that, um, but yeah, I, go very ahead. well choreographed. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, they did such a good job with illustrating because that's like that's one of those superpowers that like sounds dumb, 
un, un, or not powers, but you know what I mean, like skills that it's like, oh, big fucking deal or whatever. But then it's like, then you see it in action. It's like, he's killing people with big pens, you guys. Like, this is a serious problem. Like, <laughs> And that's kind of when you get to like the, oh, yeah, this is a this is a superhero show, right? Because in the comics, I've literally never questioned what Bullseye does. Like, I've always just been in fear. And then on the show, I see him throwing, like, you, know, <laughs> like you said, pens. And I'm just like, <laughs> laughing. Like, that's hilarious. But but it but you like you get past that and you 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 feel the danger and the fear and and to the point about uh, Bullseye he really reminded me of more classic villains uh, like uh, Darth Vader and the Terminator and uh, you know at this point I think it's fair to classify him the Winter Soldier uh, just in the sense of dread and and like the unstoppable nature of the character when they appear you know it's bad now. You know, and he's a machine that can't be like appealed to. Right. You know, like even Wilson Fisk has some humanity. Yeah. Bullseye is terrifying. He's terrifying in a way that you can relate to. There are people I've met in my life where you interact with him and they feel like Ben Poindexter, where it's like, man, something's not quite right with this guy. Um, he seems like he's going to snap at and like he could snap at anything. I have someone in my him. mind right now. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. And and when, the way Fisk manipulates that from every step, from having Julie be hired at a restaurant that he's at, to uh, you know removing her altogether, just basically turning a big thing about uh, Poindexter is that he needs a North Star to guide him at any given time. Fisk becomes that North Star, and he becomes a killing machine. So much that even Matt Murdock's like, I don't know if I could beat this guy. And he puts on the, the Muay Thai ropes on his wrist because he's like, I need to pack more power in my punch. Didn't matter. It did not matter. It And at the end, you know, uh, obviously, spoilers, we, we're way past that point. But he gets an, uh, a steel skeleton, a steel spine modified to him, which is only going to make him more fearsome, which, uh, uh, interestingly enough, is by an X-Men character. What do you mean by an X-Men character? Well, Dr. Ayana... The person who's doing it is... Dr. Ayana comes up with grafting animanium to uh, skeletons in the comics, and that's who did it. So just an interesting side thought. Well, what was funny about it is that, I don't know if you know... Well, you probably know this, but in the comics, he actually has adamantium in his spot. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's what he was saying, right? Well, he, he was saying that that's the character who comes up with that. I see, um, I see, yeah. And they couldn't, I mean, obviously, they couldn't even say that word, um, but that's what's happening. And, and that's that sets up Bullseye to be more terrifying for season two. Yeah, season four. Um, oh, right, season four. Because, listen, in the comics, folks, Bullseye kills Elektra, and he kills Karen Page. Bullseye is the most lethal threat to Matt Murdock's life in a different way. Wilson Fisk is, I would say, his arch nemesis, uh, but Bullseye is the most lethal fr- threat to... to uh, if Doc Ock is Spider-Man's arch nemesis and Green Goblin is his most lethal foe, it's a similar thing here with Wilson Fisk and Bullseye. Yeah, because like Fisk is brains. Like That's the problem with Wilson Fisk, is that he's smart, he has resources, and he's physically powerful. Uh, whereas like Bullseye is just... 
it's he's just deadly like yeah like you said he's like he's one of the he's like a fucking movie monster and i was saying you know like i was saying the p i want to see him in season two of punisher i know we're gonna get jigsaw but like listen uh ennis had a great run on punisher max where bullseye was like the primary threat to punisher because he was become you know fascinated by him i want to see that i want to see more bullseye (laughs) Honestly, I want to see a season of Bullseye versus Daredevil and then him show up in Punisher because Frank Castle should kill him. Because that's the only person who would be able to fucking put him down and be willing to do it. Yeah. He doesn't have anything to lose. It's like he could see him for the rabid dog that he is and be like, I need to take this motherfucker out. And, and, well, let's, and, and let's, and let's, go ahead. In terms of background, uh, in the comics, uh, Bullseye's background is always very – it's like the Joker. It's very like shrouded in mystery. Uh, you know, Poindexter is just one of his aliases. Uh, in this, they gave him a hard, defined backstory, and it's not super different from the themes that were explored in season one of Punisher. I want to see that cross. To that point, it's also not that different than than Matt's, right? Um, which a lot of people, a lot of commentary that I saw online, uh was like, oh, um, you know, they're they're too similar because and and this is what these shows always do, because in Iron Fist he's fighting another dude with an iron fist. In Daredevil he's literally fighting someone dressed up as himself. And I think that's extremely uh simplistic. Uh at least in this case. I haven't watched Iron Fist season two. But in this case, uh he very much is the dark mirror to um to 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 Matt Murdock. Both of them their powers aren't like the same at all. Like it's not like the same as him fighting another Iron Fist. Yeah. You know, it's like it's a guy wearing his skin, but that's part of the theme of the season. Right. And he, but he's a fighter guy. He's a you know like, you know. They're all um, fighter yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah. He's a marksman more than anything though, you yeah. know, like But but that's beside the point. So they they have similar uh upbringings in the sense that they grow up without their parents what is the core difference between the two of them i think this is interesting and i wonder if this was even thought about by the creators or if i'm reading too deeply but uh bullseye has a therapist and that's his north star matt has a priest and religion and that's his north star so it's kind of like a a, a a faith a science versus faith type of deal. I wonder if Bullseye turns out differently if he had the root in his roots in faith how uh, Matt did. I don't know if that was a thought in the minds of of the creators, but yeah, they make a point that there are similarities too. They're both violent children. Yeah, that beat up other children. Uh. I think the key difference is them as people is they make a clear case that uh, Ben Poindexter is a clear psychopath. He kills birds of rocks. He kills cats for fun. And Matt uses that as ammunition against him. He's like, was it fun when you killed those birds the first time? And has it not ever felt the same since? Because that feeling diminished over time with repetition. That that to me is more... So I, I saw it as two things. I think the obvious difference between them is, like you said, Poindexter is clinically, you know, a, a man who lacks empathy and that Matt is a man with an incredible heart um, and, and an incredibly giving heart. 
So that to me is the fundamental difference between them. But I think in terms of the mirror that was held up to them this season, for me, I saw it as that both Matt and Poindexter see themselves as people who had no one and who were abandoned. And I think the truth is that Ben didn't have anyone and Matt did. But Ben did Matt have someone. Matt was abandoned. Was that? Ben did have someone. He had his therapist, but then she does abandon him. She you does. You know, and that like Matt, Matt looks at it that way, but it's not, but he's always had Father Lantham. He's been there the entire time since his accident. He's always had that person to go back to and look to as his North Star, and Ben loses his. And I don't even think it's necessarily the science versus the faith. I think it's just that, like, Matt, as much as Matt's been through, Matt's also the first person to throw himself a pity party instead of counting his blessings. And that he had Father Lantham there for him. He had the church community there for him. He had Foggy and Karen and Ben doesn't have anybody and anybody he tried to make a connection with died or was killed yeah i i guess uh i i it's probably or he killed yeah sure but like the thing is i look at ben as a character who is like sympathetic like in a lot of ways because he's a monster but i think it's also shown that at least in the beginning he really doesn't want to be it's his nature, and it's he's a sick person, but he's actively fighting for... He's, you know, what, a man in his 30s at this point, right? Like, his entire life has been about trying to build a structure to avoid his nature, to avoid the beast that's within him, which is very similar to Matt. He just didn't have anybody to help him. You know, and like, and he did, and then they were gone. And he was left on his own. The way they reveal Poindexter's psychosis, though... Because, you know, he goes, he's the FBI uh, uh, therapist, and he's like, I, I got this girl, you know, her name is Julie. Uh, we have this routine, you know, so what, what t- today is Tuesday. Uh, so tonight we're going to get pizza with sausage and extra cheese and broccoli. And he's like, she sounds like a nice girl. Go get her. And, like, you find out he's just sitting in his van with his damn binoculars eating pizza at the same time she is inside the restaurant. So that was one of the most unsettling scenes in the entire show, you know, because I already knew he was off his rocker, but I was like, oh, my God, this guy is dangerous. He's a sick, sick person. I hadn't considered this until right now, but I guess that would be the way that uh, that uh, Kingpin initially finds out about what he does. Yep, that's how. Yeah, uh, the, they they tie it together later where they're like, he followed him for a while. Right, right. You know? I just I, I remember that. I just wasn't. I just realized right now when he told that's the why. FBI guy that that's probably how he first was aware. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, that that made it back to him, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll use that. Um, yeah, because I mean, you got to think that's what happened, right? Because we get that reveal later on with Nadim that Fisk had targeted him like a year or whatever prior to him actually doing anything. Like it was the whole the whole thing with his sister was totally orchestrated by Fisk. Listen, that that's the thing we haven't really gotten to, but the motor of this entire show is Fisk's gradual takeover of everything. Him manipulating the entire FBI, even the people who met well, like what was her name? Terry Hatcher or something, the director? Uh, of, yeah, she, uh, uh, yeah, Hatcher I think was the agent in charge. And Nadim Who's a yep. good man who well, stands and does nothing until eventually he does. But uh, considering the circumstances, it's how Fisk is able to exploit everything. Well, and yeah, man, especially because like... He becomes the kingpin. Yeah. And I, th- I think the thing that was really interesting was I had a real flip on Nadim after a while where he really annoyed me in the early episodes because of his attitude. 
but then seeing his true nature come out under pressure was something that like I liked because they didn't leave his hands clean. You know, it was like he was a good man who was scared He's an and ever- who acted in fear, he, and he compromised his values. Nadim, we haven't talked about Nadim at all, but Nadim is really the everyman. He's the lens that you're supposed to relate to because Nadim is a normal guy who's trying to be more than he is. He wants to be more than just a, a federal desk pencil pusher for his son. And he has a family to consider in a way that no one else in the show does. Everyone else is single or, you know, they have, like, their parents or something. But, like, no one has a wife and kid like he does. And Nadim is put into an extremely stressful situation that no one in their right mind is able to prepare for in life because it's a kind of uh, extreme circumstance that we're not confronted with every day. And Nadim is the good man who does nothing because he's scared. Well, what I also loved... Um, was I, I I really got invested in him early on because of his financial pro- problems um, because it was clear to me as soon as as soon as um, the special agent tells him you know you 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 we don't pick people like you for these jobs because you have a you have a, a money problem and you're you're an easy mark and it turns out she was exactly right and I even wonder, if at that time, because we know that she was working for the Kingpin forever. So I wonder if even at that time she was trying to protect him from Fisk. Probably. I think she was. I think she says something like to that effect where she says like she was she says when he she turns him over for the promotion, she says, I'm trying to protect you. And he doesn't get what she means. Right. You know, and I think it is that she knows. And especially because I think this is something that we we skipped over, but like uh Nadim has every reason to be afraid. Because his superior officer, somebody who he trusted and whose intentions ultimately are pure, because she ends up helping take Fisk down, her daughter was murdered by Fisk. So and the team has everything he, to lose. Yeah, everything to lose, and and nothing to gain at that point. That even even if everything goes well, he's seeing five years in prison, and his his son is going to w- grow up without a dad for that much of his life you know and his wife is going to have to figure out how they're going to take care of his family while he's in jail because he was blackmailed and it shows just you know? how long fisk has been planning all this he created the financial woes for nadim he got his sister-in-law's medical coverage taken away from her not just that foggy foggy's sibling and his parents signed on with a bank that were basically uh, loan sharks and and the whole thing and like you said both situations were totally fabricated by kingpin it's not like they were vulnerable and then he took advantage he made them vulnerable took advantage put them in his pocket and then waited until he needed to spring his trap incredible i i've been thinking a lot about the religious uh element of this series uh and uh i've equated kingpin to the devil uh in my thinking yes and it's often said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions and you know the devil's is viewed as a schemer, and I look at what he did throughout this entire series is kind of playing on people who want to do the right thing, but have that that black spot on their soul, and he just rips it out of them and pulls it out of them, and and it, and, it, and it becomes magnified, and he was very effective at doing that with Nadim. Uh, with the special agent in charge, but also with with uh, with Karen and with uh, uh, Matt Murdock, and they're able 
they're able to reject him ultimately, which is amazing to watch. But you, you, you kind of see that the only person who is able to act with a clear conscience for the entire show and is the white knight is Foggy. Yeah. Foggy Nelson, dude. Absolutely. He is the one, like, like one beacon of hope in this, in this season. He's the only incorruptible character. When he realizes that Kingpin has his strings in his own family, he, he rejects becoming the DA. He's like, you know what? I just won't do it then because then, then Kingpin will have the DA in his pocket and I'm not about that. Uh, he hasn't killed anybody. He hasn't done that. He also, um, uh, rejects the notion that Daredevil should kill. But he also believes in redemption for Karen, who did kill. So I just love, I, I just love what his role was. If it wasn't for him, I believe that those characters fall to Kingpin. And he never gave I up agree. on Matt. Never gave up. Yep. Yeah, he's also the only one who won't turn his back on Matt. He's also the only, he's the only character who doesn't ever give up. Like Matt's entire arc in the beginning is about him picking himself back up and, and, and moving forward. Karen hits a point where she's ready to turn tail and run. Foggy's the only one who's like, let him come for me. It's like, you know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to fight him and I'm, and we're going to win because we're right. We're on the right side of this. And if we play by the rules and we believe in, you know, good triumphing over evil, it will. And it does. And, and, and I think you're right. He's the one that keeps every character, um, who strays from the path on it. Marcy too. To her credit. She, she's Foggy's rock. She gives him the idea of putting himself in the open as much as possible as possible because if he's in the public, he it's hard to make a target when you're in light like that. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely an unsung hero of this story too because, like, you're right, like Foggy doesn't make that call without her. Yeah, um, and I like the 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 shift in her character because I remember, you know, way back when she was very one. much kind of like sorry, season one. Yeah, yeah, she was different. She was quite. Different. She was compromised. Yeah, it's like she had she had given up on on her core values and who she was, and you know, um, more willing to do what her company told her because it's her company. Yep, and it's an, it's just another example of a story of redemption. You know, and of rebirth. Yeah. Uh wow. Yeah, there's just there's just so much to this show, and I I feel like we could we could go on and on because. Uh, there's just a lot to unpack and to sift through. I know that since I finished it, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. Go ahead, Phil. I, I know we're trying to wrap this up a little bit here, but another thought I had is Vanessa, who we didn't talk about. Thank you. Yes. Yes. And Vanessa comes back and she's immediately distant because they live in this very sterile, sweet hotel. And eventually Fisk breaks down and tries to figure out what is keeping them apart. And she wants to be part of his life entirely. And in doing that, she's there unraveling because it's her, because, uh, 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 oh boy, what's his name? Felix uh, Manning? Manning, yeah. Felix Manning makes the call, you know what? Let, uh, let Nadim live and he will, he'll undo himself while we use like other FBI testimony. But it's her call to kill this loose end. 
And in doing that, he creates his final, you know, final will here, which I looked up, by the way, and is, like, legally standing. A final will and testament like that is, like, legally standing. So the writers did their homework on this show. Um, and in doing that, she's their unraveling. But she is also their salvation because in her living and not being, uh, you know, uh, proof because there's evidence that she or uh, ordered the murder of nadim and matt has that evidence without that evidence uh you know fisk could do anything but with that evidence fisk and uh and murdoch make a deal they don't bring that evidence to light and she doesn't get locked up and in exchange fisk does not go after foggy and he doesn't go after karen but how perfect for fisk that Vanessa ends up being corrupted because now he has someone who can act as him on the outside because she is as ruthless, if not more so, than he is. So while he's in prison, she will be his avatar, a perfect avatar, a better avatar than Wesley or even Manning. Because she has no compromise inside or, her. Or, or, or Poindexter, for that he's a He's a loose cannon. She told him. She told Kingpin, be mad later, be smart now. Yeah. That's how she thinks. She's cold and calculating. Whereas Kingpin, we see his bouts of rage. We see how in the car, when he finds out that Karen lived, he beats that guy to death. That's who he is. He is that rage. He killed his father. She's not like that. She's And, and she's not proud like he is. His rage and his pride are the things that keep him from his goals, ultimately. You know, I think I'd literally the only thing that, that gets in Fisk's way is that. Is that he, he's, he needs to be the one to do certain things that he shouldn't be doing. You know, if, if he was just, if he was a little bit more restrained, this whole story ends up with him winning. They probably could have gotten away at the end because it kind of becomes clear that Daredevil and Bullseye are going to fight and Vanessa, he tells Vanessa to run. But honestly, they both probably could have gotten out of there. He wanted to brawl. He he wanted, he wanted to, to fight. Yeah, he, yep. he wanted to be in on that. I thought that was exactly. fantastic. Well, and that's that's Fisk, right? Like, for sure. Uh, he's one to dirty his own hands, which is, you know, part of what makes him a bad motherfucker but it's also part of why he ended up in jail. Because <laughs> if he had just went and gotten on his jet and bailed, they could have been halfway to Canada by the time Bullseye was in the ground. Or Daredevil was in the ground. Or Daredevil, right? Yeah, that's true. Because uh, Fisk's the one who takes him out of commission. Yes, I'm fairly sure that the reason why uh, Fisk, like the, the, the writer reason why he was included is because they had established that there was no way Daredevil could beat uh, bullseye 1v1 so they needed that third element to kind of uh, provide a way for him to win because otherwise bullseye kills him I think which is a good element for season 4 yep it's unresolved yeah, that's true that's very true uh, it's interesting just because I think that I could see him still beating him mano a mano because like that was very much what they did in the first season with like Shinobu so that, that's what I'm thinking of right Nobu. Like the red ninja no um and uh, I, I, I feel like Matt would have ultimately won, but Kingpin doing it keeps Matt's hands clean too. Well, right, it, it, of it, it's of, like we said, of being the one to like cripple a man. <laughs> it's like we said, uh, it's a loose end, and eventually Matt will triumph over Bullseye in a one v one fight. But that's a loose end for later. 
uh, for now, it seems like he can't overcome that odd. Uh, the other thing that was interesting about Fisk is I thought there was a little bit of socio-political commentary. There, I thought there were some elements where they kind of made him seem like President Trump. Uh, like yeah, with the whole um, the whole like news segment stuff and the way he was like got to create a new villain, and that's something that the president does all the time is create smoke screens and deflect that draws away from his own negative publicity. Well, even even diverting from talk about the the actual president, I think it's just a commentary on how media works and how it is, how easy it is to control the narrative uh, in this country where. You know, we have this 24-7 news cycle and people are very willing to believe what you have to say. Um, I, I think that that was expertly crafted. And again, it just shows how intelligent uh, Fisk is. Uh, but yeah, I, I again, I feel like we could we could talk so much. But for me, I, I just think this season was so phenomenal. They did a great job of injecting things into this season um, that I thought were like no-no places, like Karen's drug history. I thought there was no way they would ever touch that because if they did, then it would make her look bad in a way that I don't know that they wanted to. But the way that they utilized it here versus in the comics uh, actually was, as weird as it sounds, tasteful and also played into her redemption story. I was very afraid when she walked into the uh, the, the the drug den and, and was buying heroin. I was very, very afraid that they were just going to have her use it. And that was going to be that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, I forgot about that scene. That was a really good scene. Yep. Yeah. Oh, but- God, the way that was foiled, too. They, they, have, they have it. They have the guy who shanked Wilson Fisk and was not in, in, in isolation. And Bullseye comes into the bulletin and just destroys everything yeah yeah including including karen's relationship with her editor because he's like wait you know the identity of daredevil right man that is another he is a great supporting character they have developed him so well over the the seasons ellison yeah like i thought his relationship with karen in this season was like so compelling like this scene where they're in the hospital hey, and he starts die. screaming at her was like so emotional, you know? Yeah. The the only other thing that I wanted to say just about the ending uh, earlier on, Marco had made the comment that he felt like it was too neat of an ending. And uh, I had thought about this because my girlfriend said the same thing and she just felt like, oh, that, that ending sucked. Um, and I thought a lot about it. And those three characters, Karen, Foggy, and, and Matt, end up at such a different place than we've ever seen them before. It's not a reset button. And the reason why is because now they're operating in truth. And that operation in truth is the reason why they're able to overcome these seemingly insurmountable odds. If it's not for um, them knowing who Matt really is, this doesn't work. If it's not for Karen telling the truth about what she did with Wesley, this doesn't work. And I just love the fact that 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 was at the center of all of this. The liars, the people who don't, who aren't willing to be honest about who they really are underneath the, the shit are the people who lose. Nadim loses because he's unwilling to be honest. He's, he's too willing to compromise with his ideals. And by the time that he's willing to say the truth, it's too late. 
it, it's too late for him. There wasn't there wasn't redemption in life for him, but there was redemption in death. And I just I just think that that's such a beautiful ending message that the only reason why they're able to sit at that table without the baggage, without the feelings of negativity is because they decided to move forward in truth. And now they're stronger than ever. And I can't wait to see, hopefully we get a season four, um, what will test them now. In the beginning of season one, it feels like Foggy is Matt's goofy sidekick. Karen is just a secretary. I know she keeps saying office manager, but like she feels she feels like a secretary. At the end here, where they're sitting in the butcher, they feel like a table of three equals. Yeah, and and I think I think what's really cool about this season because it, you know, in very much way, it's an echo to the first season. You know, like it's a lot like. Um, that famous George Lucas quote where he's like, Star Wars is like poetry. It rhymes like, well, Daredevil rhymes too. And I think the, the takeaway here is that and actually it reminds me a lot of the end of like the Hobbit, right? Where like, it's the return home, but you've grown from the journey to say that like, it's all tied up in a neat bow and that it's all come full circle is, is a understatement for how much these characters have been through and who they've become in light of the things they've experienced. And if you've been along for that ride and you've seen that growth, I, you know, I think it's clear um, that this isn't, like you said, it's not a reset button. It's not a, it's not a return to form. It's a, it's a, um, it's moving forward without, ignoring the past you know without losing the things and the people that brought you to this point you know and recognizing um the parts of you that you had lost along the way and i think if you're a person especially if you're an older person who's been through you know major life experiences with the people in your life like this um that does resonate because i think ultimately the takeaway here is that like as much as things change they also stay the same in the ways that matter. And that's what that, that ending means for me. And that's what it shows is that what is, it's not Matt returning to his status quo. It's, it's daredevil returning to Matt, you know, and, and realizing that his relationship with foggy and Karen, even though it was strained has not changed and that it's only gotten stronger and that it, you know, he, he needed to grow within himself for that to be true, but it, but it is now. And even though Father Lantham is gone, his his now he has that relationship with his mother, with Maggie, you know, and that, again, as things change, they do still stay the same. And I think it's it's about it's about growth and in a way that is very human, you know, that like ultimately we get older and, and the 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 details change but a lot of things about us do stay the, the same and that speaks to that theme of your nature and who you are at your core right and i think it was just that matt was misinterpreting who he is dan pete well put yeah you too absolutely. sean thank you uh great <laughs> job everybody yeah so i think we'll we'll wrap up here um another phenomenal season of honestly, in my in my opinion, one of the greatest television shows of all time, and um, bookmarked with three excellent seasons, the trilogy here. Yeah, if it would end here, I think they did a phenomenal job of telling a story that 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 works cohesively together. Um, but you know, who doesn't want more of something that's this good? So hopefully, 
Netflix and Marvel can work it out to where we can get another season of this show. And hats off to every single individual who worked on this. Um, it was excellent from literally the top to the very bottom. So, um, What would you yeah. rate it? What would I rate it? I rated it a 10. Yeah, 10 out of 10 too for me. 10 out of 10. Yeah, I don't think there's a weak episode among the bunch. Marco gives it a 5 out of 10. I'm sure. Oh, it was really great. 5 out of 10. <laughs> we'll probably have a, a conversation similar to that on another episode of the Comics Pals. And uh, we'll see you then for that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. And if you did, plenty of ways you can reach out to us. We are at the Comics Pals on social media. We are uh, on social, on SoundCloud. We are on Apple Podcasts. You can write to us at thecomicspals.gmail.com with your thoughts about Daredevil Season 3. We would love to hear them. And, of course, if you are on YouTube, thank you. Uh, leave us a like. Drop us a comment. Tell us who your favorite character is from this season. Um, share the video with your friends and subscribe to our channel for more content like this. And we will see you on the next Comics Pals review. Take care, guys. Adios. See you next time, babies. A woman that can't be bought isn't worth having. <laughs>